Welcome to Business Masters, the podcast that gives you direct access to world-leading experts on key business issues. To be the first to know about future shows and to access even more exclusive content, visit businessblueprint.com and subscribe today. Hello, it's Dale Beaumont here, founder of Business Blueprint, and welcome to another Business Masters podcast. Today, I'm talking with best-selling author and performance expert, Dr. Adam Fraser, and our topic is how to perform at your best in business. Adam, thanks for joining us. Hey, Dale. Hey, your mate. Or should I say Dr. Adam? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first doctor we've had on the show, so I'm pretty uh, pretty pumped about that. But no, we've known each other for a long time, and yeah, we um, sure have. I really admire your work. So looking forward to, to having a chat. But I know your background, but people listening, many of them don't. Tell us a bit about your background, how you became a doctor, and also about the work specifically with working with elite athletes. Yeah, well, I was always pretty much obsessed with performance, you know, understanding why some people perform better than others. And and the area I was particularly interested in was in sport because I played a lot of sport myself. And I did biomedical science as an undergraduate, which is a blend of psychology and physiology. And then out of uni, I went to the Institute of Sport and worked down there and actually did not like the work much at all. It was quite boring, even though it sounded glamorous. It was quite boring. Because that and would have been your dream, back. right, to work with athletes. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But after three months, it kind of wore off. And then I went back to do an honours and a PhD. And in that time, I did a couple of projects with the military around how do we get soldiers high-performing. And also my PhD had a performance aspect to it too. So that's my background. And then post-PhD, fell in love with business and have been consulting and speaking and and st- I still do research with universities and writing books. So that, that's that's me. All right. Well, what are some of the principles that you learned from your time with working with high performers, in particular athletes? And then we'll look at how that translates to business in a sec. Yeah, well, um, you know, some of the things I worked on, particularly with athletes, was the concept of flow and, and how do we get in the zone and how do we get completely lost in a task so that we – because there's three things that can drive you to perform. To win, so that means I, I want the results at the end. I, I want to have the admiration. I want people to tell me I'm great so that I'm okay. The, the second one is to not lose. That's where you focus on I don't want to stuff up. I just want to get through this. And the third thing is to master the task. So actually the task itself is the reward. And what I found with athletes like Alexander Popoff and Thorpe and Colin Jackson, all these incredible athletes that I got to do work with was, um, yeah, that they're obsessed with mastery. And that's what flow is, that ability to just get lost in the task. So that was one of the first principles that I worked on uh, around athletes and performance. Mm. And, and translating that to business, I'm guessing a lot of people either you know motivated by um, making millions of dollars or they're motivated by not going broke so they can continue to you know, pay their mortgage and put food on the table or about becoming exceptional at business and being the best at everything that they do from their marketing, their sales, their customer service, their leadership, their finance, and they want to master everything. Do you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you could probably talk to this better than me because you've interviewed probably more successful business people than I've even talked to. Tony... Tony Shea, who runs Zappos, uh, which he sold to Amazon for a billion dollars, you know, he told me about his first business, which he built up and sold it for hundred. I think it was about $220 million to Microsoft. And he said it was like the, the flattest moment of his life because he went, oh, 
what am I going to do now? And it wasn't, I've got $220 million in the bank, woohoo, which is focusing on the win. He was, he, his focus was, oh, what am I immersing myself in right now? What am I going to master next? He actually found that moment quite flat, whereas most people would be saying, oh, that's the greatest moment. But I've, I found this across all business people that when they are absolutely obsessed with mastery, they don't get caught up in the office politics because they don't care about you know, what their title is or where they sit or how close they are to the CEO. It's about the task that I'm doing and I want to, be, I want to make each task I do awesome. So how can we learn to, to switch gears and, and to, to, to go for mastery more? And then the next question that's going to be running through the heads of business owners listening is, how do I get my team to you know, have a passion for mastering things? Because I'm always telling them what do they do and they're you know, doing a bad job. So how do we work in ourselves and then how do we help others? Yeah, so for ourselves, the, the big thing is awareness of it, is start to think about, well, what does drive me? Am I in a business that really I'm only after the reward or I'm just trying to pay the bills and I'm just trying not to screw up or do I actually love and, and, and want to do the job itself? And I, I think that's the, the starting point is to look at what drives you. And, and once you get that awareness, you can start to think about, well, if it is this task, of say I'm putting together a presentation or a marketing strategy, you know what, what's my mindset doing? Am I being distracted or am I totally immersed in that moment? So really it's about that awareness of what is driving me and maybe it's that I need to cut out some things in my day that don't. So And you're the king of this is how you outsource and, and get rid of the stuff you shouldn't be doing. Even look at what, what's involved in your business and think, well, of these things, these are the ones I really find mastery in that I want to obsess over and be involved in. So, you know, self-awareness and also just trying to structure your day so you're doing more tasks that you are absolutely immersed in. In terms of your staff, one of the biggest things is to reward them for effort. And, and really this comes back to, and there's a heap of work done with children around whether they're rewarded by labels like you're a good boy, good girl, you know, that where they got prizes for things or whether they were actually rewarded for effort, which is you spent a long time on that. You really put a lot of effort into that. And, and kids that were rewarded like that started to develop this m- mindset around mastery, were far happier, were far more resilient and performed better. Yeah, you know, there's a heap of research that shows that. So it's the same thing with our staff. Right. It's you know, re- rewarding effort. Keep, keep, yeah. Keep going. It, it, yeah, well, it's with our staff, it's rewarding them for effort. It's rewarding for them for tenacity and persistence rather than just focusing on the outcome that they got or what mistakes they made. So in terms of your staff, that, that's the key to that one. Now, I'm guessing a lot of people you know, would be listening to this thinking that what about if I'm not passionate about what I'm doing? You know, should I quit? Should I stop doing it immediately and you know follow follow my bliss, as they say, or should I or should I do something else? Well, that, that's a great question because the whole thing is, and I know a lot of people that spend their entire lives searching for the perfect role or the perfect business, and and I don't think it's out there. And so, for example, the other day I had to do an Excel spreadsheet where I just had to dump a bunch of data in there. I was doing some research and I, so I'm just crunching numbers and I'm at, at like um, entering numbers, but I, I, I made it 
fun in terms of like I'm going to sound like a nutcase, but what I had a competition with myself about how many numbers I could read on the page, memorize, and then dump into Excel without having to look back at the page. And I was getting up to eight, ten strings of numbers in a row, and, and and you know it made the task go really fast. But it was also because my thing's about performance, so I went, okay, crappy, shitty task. How can I put performance into this? Because that's that's my strength, that's my obsession. And I started to go, well, maybe I can make it harder. Maybe I can make it more challenging. And, and the thing is. The three hours that I spent on it just disappeared. It went really fast. Now, I could have bitched and moaned the whole time about, oh, my gosh, I'm so important. I shouldn't be entering data like this. But I actually assumed the, the mindset of mastery of how can I do this task in a way that engages me in it. Does that give you an indication of it, Dale? Yeah, fantastic. If you get really so, good, we can go to the casino and you can do some card counting. <laughs> yeah, I'm Rain Man now. <laughs> but um, but that, that's the so in your it's very easy for people to go oh my job's not perfect I'll chuck it in and, and they get to the next job and they find that that also is not perfect it, it, it's about applying this mastery mindset to everything you do so for example uh, the, the the most successful coach in history is a guy called John Wooden and I'm sure you would have heard of him basketball coach he like he won seven premierships in a row with his team and then they said oh, well, that's because you've got a good team. If you had the team that was coming last, you couldn't do that. So he actually resigned and went to work for the team that came last and turned them around, and the following year they came first. So his whole thing is that you focus on the metrics of the game. He never talked about winning or losing. What he spoke about is for each player, each game they had a, a, a thing they had to focus on. So for Johnny, it's you've got to focus on layups. For, you know, Dennis, it's uh, you had too many turnovers. What he talked about was that every time they hit the basketball court, they tried to master something new in their, uh, in their task. So for me, with my presenting, which is only an element of what I do, every time I walk up on stage, I go, today, this is what I'm going to master, whether it's about my physicality, whether it's about the verticality that I use in my presentations, whether it's about pausing, whether it's about framing, it's constantly looking at today, this is what I will master. So we can do that in in any job, anywhere. Great. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, now you spend a lot of time these days as a business owner yourself, traveling the country and helping companies, some small, some medium, some you know, really, really large. Um, what do you see as the major challenges as you speak to you know, business owners? What do you see as the major, major challenges facing business today? Um, the, the major challenge I see with business today is the ability to wear different hats. So what we've seen in our roles is they've become more complex in that we have to transition between different parts. So it's not like we just sit down and do uh, a, a job or, or a task. We're interrupted. We, we have to go to different meetings about different things with different people. So, And this is where I came up with this concept of the third space. So during our day, we move between different spaces. So the first space is the role or the environment you're in right now uh, or the task. The second space is the role or the environment you're about to transition into. Now, what we found in our research is the number of spaces we have to inhabit has dramatically increased 
meaning we have to be different things to different people more often in our day. So we might go from admin, then all of a sudden you've got to solve conflict between two people in the that you lead. You may go from an internal meeting to an ex- where it's about the organization you work in to an external one where it's about the stakeholders and their world and what's going on, where you're trying to catch up on compliance or emails, then all of a sudden you've got to innovate and solve problems. So what we found in our research is the number of transitions we have to make in our day where we have to exhibit different behaviors or think differently has dramatically risen. So the biggest challenge I see in business is adaptability, the ability to be very agile and adaptable. Because what we often do is carry the mindset of the previous thing into the next interaction. So you have a shitty meeting uh, where conflict, where there's um, politics and you're frustrated, you walk into the next meeting and that comes with you. And that infects the meeting, infects your mindset and your capacity to work. So that's what I'm seeing. And this research, what we started to look at is, well, maybe what you do in that third space, the gap in between, has a huge impact on your ability to be resilient to what you've just been through and your ability to align mindset with what's coming next to extract more value. Fantastic. That was a very big answer to that. No, question. no, no. It's, it's great. It's a perfect introduction to um, this concept of the third space. And, you know, you've kind of developed such a mastery on it yourself that you wrote a book about it. Tell us a bit about the, uh, the, the book and what you kind of cover. Yeah, well, where the, the book was inspired by a couple of things. Number one was uh, I was doing some work with return to home soldiers. So soldiers that had been in Iraq and were coming home. And what they talked about is that transition home was really hard really challenging. Got me started to think about this concept of transitions. And then I came across a research of a guy called Jim Lua who studied tennis players. And what he found is the, in terms of the top 1,000 tennis players, there wasn't a lot of difference between them during the point. So they were as fast, as agile, as athletic as each other. Where the elite players stood out was not what they did during the point, but what they did in between the points. So the elite players could lose a point and get over that negative emotion really quickly. So obviously they feel disappointment, but they could shut that down and not carry that forward. So it was almost like they were Teflon coded. They lose a point and it bounce off. The second thing they could do is relax themselves in between the points. So their heart rate dropped, their blood pressure dropped. They actually recovered in between points. And the third thing is as they got themselves ready for the next point, they were, were focused, they were calm, they were optimistic about their chance of winning the next point. So what Jim showed is that the elite players did this better in between the points. So I I took these two experiences and I started to think about this in business and and how we make transitions. And and what we found is the, the stuff we got the soldiers to do and what tennis players did, great business people did as well. So the best salespeople, when we studied salespeople, the characteristic wasn't, oh, they're slick in the meeting. The characteristic that great salespeople had was their ability to just get smashed, like rejected, and then go into the next meeting, like drop that disappointment and have as much enthusiasm and optimism for that next meeting. It was their ability to to shut down the previous interaction and go into the next one clean. We, I mean, we studied so many people, surgeons, palliative care nurses, 
even performers, what, what we found, it was what they did in the gaps that made the difference. And it started us on this research of what, well, what's the best thing to do in these gaps in our day? And uh, that really spurned the book on. And what are the gaps for us as business owners? You know, maybe it's kind of driving to the office, let's just say, going from meeting to meeting. Uh, anything else? Are they the kind of main ones? Well, this is, I mean, the whole thing is we can have large transitions. Like you may transition in your business to have a new arm or a new product or a new service. Like that's a big transition. Um, but, but you could take this model down as, as, as small as stimulus response. So if you, so say a staff member says something to us. Like our whole life is just stimulus response. Something happens and we respond to us. There's a third space in that. So something occurs to us or someone says something to us, there's a gap where we choose our response and then we deliver that response. So, you know, your staff member might say something to you and you can have a really bad response because you don't take time to consider you know, what's really going on there. So so say they say something to you and you react to it. Or have you, Dale, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't have done this, but people listening to this may have got an email and you think, oh, right, and you send this reply and you think, have that. And then 10 seconds later you're thinking, how do I get that email back? Like you've sent something that was an overreaction or you've snapped at someone or, or even you've choked in that moment. Yeah, so you could take this model down as 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 tiny as stimulus and response. So this gap can be seconds, but so we can use it in our day. I mean, as a parent, and I'm sure you feel this as well, is sometimes your children do stuff which is the stimulus, like they throw things or say no or do something deliberate, and then you have that short gap before you respond. And there's even a third space there. And good parenting is you use that response, that gap to calm yourself and choose a good response rather than a, a, a frustrated reaction. I could use that, that um, <laughs> concept sometimes <laughs> myself, especially with yeah, my kids. You can feel that pain. But, but we found the same thing with leaders is mm. that they'd be in meetings and I'd watch them and, and people would say stuff and, and bad leaders would, would jump on it and react and say things that would belittle that person or might be confrontational, whereas great leaders would take that short moment to consider a response that would get a better outcome. Mm. So really throughout our day, you can have meeting to meeting, work to home, that's a transition, um, driving to work, as you said, or simply moment to moment. And it's about how do we, how do we use these gaps to come up with better behaviours? And I know you cover a lot of uh, principles, um, you know, in your book and give a lot of practical steps. And in fact, some a lot of my clients have have read your book and have raved to me about, you know, how much they've got out of it. So I definitely know, um, you know, the the benefits that it has. But it's been you, a huge success. Yeah, it's been fabulous. Yeah, we've been happy with it. Yeah. Lo- loved it. So um, tell me, like, um, to inspire people to go out and get a copy of the book, which we'll talk about in just a sec, uh, what would be, like, just two or three quick wins, quick things that you could tell people now that will make an immediate effect and then they can go get the book if they want more? Okay, so the three key things we found in our research, and this was done with Deakin University, is when you transition, there are three key steps. And the first one is called reflect, and that is the ability to reflect on what has just happened. 
So every time something happens to us, we make sense of it in our head, and that's this reflection piece. Now, what we found is a lot of people had a very pessimistic bias to reflection, meaning something would happen and they'd look for the bad stuff. But what we found in our research is when people reflect in an optimistic way, not delusional but optimistic about, so maybe answer three questions such as what just went well then, what did I achieve, how did I just get better? So that was one of the first pieces is when people reflected, choose an optimistic reflection style rather than, oh, that sucked and that was a disaster and, geez, I did such a terrible job. That's the first piece. The second piece is during any transition is take a moment of rest and that does not mean lay down and rest but it's just stopping. The ability to be present and calm, whether it's take a breath, whether it's simply a one-second pause before you say something to someone. So that ability to rest, to calm ourselves and compose ourselves, uh, just put our our physiology, our brain in a better state to choose a response rather than react. And then the third thing was called reset. And this is as we move into the next space, start to articulate what is my intention? What am I trying to achieve? What's the real key piece here? And the second part was, what is the behavior I'm going to exhibit? So say if it's a meeting with a client, what's my intention? My intention here is not to sell. It's simply to understand their business. What's my behavior? I'm going to shut up. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to ask some considered questions. I'm going to challenge them a little bit, but not too much. You know, a meeting with your staff, it might be, you know, okay, I'm here to reward my staff, to just just to pull out some of the good stuff they're doing, not to push them too hard, whatever. But it's it's looking that when you go into that next thing, being clear about intention and clear about behavior. So to give you some really specific examples of this, um, I'll give you two. We did a study with people transitioning from work to home. So most people take the day home with them and take it out on their families. We asked 600 people to practice this technique for a month of, as they went home, reflected on the day but optimistically, paused, so whether that was listening to music in the car or just you know reading a book on the train, and then reset where they start to think about when I get in the home, what's my intention, how do I want to behave? We asked them to practice this for a month. We saw a 41% improvement in behavior in the home, which is massive. And... Uh, you know, in a month, that is an extraordinary result. So that's one of the first ones. Uh, the second example, I got an email recently of someone that read the book and she said, this book has totally changed my life. And I kind of responded going, thanks, but you didn't have to be so dramatic. And she said, no, let me tell you how. And she said that reflect, rest, reset I use between meetings because I'm HR director. I use it on the way home. She said, but the most important time is she, her son, who's 18, has profound anxiety and depression. Terrible. So that he sees four specialists. And she said, what I used to do is go into a meeting with the specialist, but I'd be so upset. I couldn't, I'd walk out and I wouldn't remember anything. And I didn't ask good questions because I was just so emotionally upset. She said, I do that three-step thing before I go into the meeting with the specialist. She said, I stay calm, I'm considered, I'm less responsive, and I walk out with strategies that will help my son. She said, these are the three areas I use it in. So, 
you know, a great and powerful example, but we can really use it in, in any time we're transitioning from one thing to another. Yeah. I know you've got so much more to share, but we're kind of out of time. Um, how can people get a copy of your book if they're in Australia? And people could be listening to this podcast all over the world. So if they're in America, UK, Singapore, etc., where do they go? Well, you can go to um, – it's through Random House. So Random House website, you can buy it. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon, it's in bookstores. If you can't find it, shoot me an email. Just Google me and you'll get my website. Yeah, it's, it's kind of everywhere. Okay. The Third Space is the name of the book and uh, you've been, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Adam Fraser. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. For more information about Adam Fraser and, uh, and his book, The Third Space, please visit dradamfraser.com. Thanks for listening to another Business Masters podcast. To access more great content or to download your free business plan template, visit businessblueprint.com.